So I saw it as one as an opportunity in the market, as well as a passion and a personal interest to want to help small business owners and startups. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for this show and a CPA myself. Well, for today's program, we have a very creative guest that's embarking on a new path for himself in the small business consulting space. Terrell Turner joined us for the show, and he's in the North Carolina area, Charlotte to be exact. What caught my attention about Terrell is that he has a big company background, but he was making video content for small businesses on some basic topics that that really every business owner should know. And that piqued my interest. What you're going to hear, and we just happened to catch him as he's transitioned from big corporate America to start his own consulting practice, but it's only been about six months since he started that, and he's went a long way already. He's developed several repeat clients for his fractional CFO services, and he's produced over 130, yes, 130, 130 business content videos in that short period of time for both his clients and prospective new clients. This guy really hustles. It was an invigorating experience for me to do this interview, and I think you're definitely going to find some inspiration in it as well. I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you do learn something from this episode and enjoy listening to it, please let us know either by sharing it out on social media or drop me an email or message on LinkedIn. I love to hear from our listeners. And I know I've mentioned it before, but we have a few books out there on Amazon as well. We have 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career, 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter, and Hiring for Accounting, which is really more of a comprehensive guide for employers. So if any of those titles pique your interest, please check those out. We always appreciate that. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's very interesting guest, Terrell Turner. Well, hello, Terrell. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. This will be fun. Well, for the audience, we get our guests for the program in a variety of ways. Some are referred by friends, of course, and many are suggested by other guests. And then sometimes I just see something interesting online and I decide to reach out to the individual myself to see if they'll come on the show and share their story with you, our audience. And that's how we came to invite Terrell Turner on the show for today. Terrell has a background in financial planning and analysis, and he's a CPA, but he's also doing some educational videos online for business owners and other decision makers that I found unique. So I wanted to invite him on the show so we all could find out more about his professional journey and, of course, what he's doing now as well. Well, Terrell, I really do want to get into your library of video content, but before we do that, I do think <laughs> I do think it's good to start at the beginning. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it was funny. It started probably when I was in high school. I took a bookkeeping class. I mean, and it was something my high school was testing at the time. I took it and I was like, wow, I actually like doing this better than I liked all my English classes, my history classes. I was like, maybe I should explore this more. Wow. It's funny. That is easily a third of our guests. 
got hooked on it in that bookkeeping 101 class <laughs> you know, in, in high school. <laughs> it's, am- it's amazing. The CPA Society should sponsor high school bookkeeping classes or something. I think it would go a long way to creating more accountants. <laughs> Absolutely. So was it sort of an obvious choice then going through college? You always knew you were going to be an accounting major? Yeah, so once I got into college, I mean, it was, I started taking some of the accounting classes, and my undergraduate university didn't have like a major in accounting, you majored in business administration, but I emphasized in accounting. And so I took all of the accounting classes that they had, I think all except for one, because I couldn't fit it on my schedule, but I took all the classes that they had. And for me, I knew that I wanted to do something in business, but I didn't know exactly what. So accounting and the path of going into public accounting would be my way of, hey, it will give me a chance to get a behind-the-scenes look at how companies are run and how the leadership thinks about a business. So later on down the line, if I wanted to do something other than accounting, I would at least have that good foundation and that exposure so I'd know what I was looking for. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it never occurred to me that a university would not have an accounting program specifically until I started doing this podcast because I, my school had one. And yeah, it's amazing how many universities don't have a formal accounting major. It's peculiar to me, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty it's one common. Of those things where it's, I was going to say it's so fundamental to every aspect of business. And I used to ask that question a lot to, at my undergrad. And I think the answer I was given at the time is that they could not attract enough PhDs in the accounting field to actually get a accounting as a major. Okay, that makes sense because... Yes, we've had some other professors actually come on the program and talk about the PhD process. And yeah, there does seem to be a shortage of even spots sometimes for those programs. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So take us through those early years in your career, because obviously I know you're a CPA, and I am sort of curious, since you weren't an accounting major, how you got started in your first few jobs, and then at what point you were able to get the hours to sit for the exam and that whole process. So what were those first few years like after you got your bachelor's degree? Yeah, so what was, uh, I guess, the unfortunate, I guess, the turn of events for me is I knew immediately, because I'd had conversations with some of my accounting professors that were, that started in industry, they were CPAs, and one of the things that they recommended is, you need to go to graduate school to get a master's degree in accounting so you can get the hours. And so I had planned on going to a university in South Carolina to where I was like, hey, you know, I'll go to a bigger university in South Carolina, get my master's there, and then I can start the job process. But what turned out is that I got a letter from, actually my parents got a letter from the University of Notre Dame. And they called me and said, hey, we got a letter from the University of Notre Dame. And I was like, well, what does it say? Because I have no (laughs) idea why they would be sending a letter. (laughs) And so they opened the letter and they said, well, it says something about a master's in accounting. And so my mom read it to me and I was like, oh, it sounds like they're recruiting me for their master's of accounting program. And so I applied to University of Notre Dame. I got accepted into their master's of accounting program. And then all the excitement set in and we were, my family was excited. My professors were excited. And then I saw the cost of what it was going to actually cost. And I said, oh, wow, 
I am a first-generation college graduate. I was like, I cannot afford that. And so that started an interesting turn. And then actually Ernst & Young out of Charlotte, North Carolina, their office was recruiting. And I guess Notre Dame had told them that I had gotten accepted. And Ernst & Young at the time had a partnership with the University of Notre Dame where Ernst & Young would pay for the degree and I would contract the work for Ernst & Young for four years. So Ernst & Young reached out to me after I got accepted. I came up for an interview, met with the managing partner of the office, and then some of the senior managers, they liked me, and they were thrilled that I had already gotten accepted to Notre Dame. So they said, hey, we have a program where we can pay for you to get your master's, but we only work with two schools. We work for the University of Virginia, and we work with Notre Dame. We'll pay for you to get your degree. You'll have a guaranteed job. Go through two consecutive summers. First summer, you'll go to school, and then you'll come back in the fall and the winter and the spring and work actually as a staff one. And then that following summer, you will go back and finish your degree, and then you'll come back as a staff two and then continue the matriculation of your career in public accounting. And for me, it was just like, I was like, I had never heard of an opportunity like this. And it opened so many doors. And I was just like, you know what? I can't say no to this. And so my family was excited. My college professors were excited. Even some of the local regional CPA firms, because I had, I had done an internship at one of the CPA firms there. And even the, one of the managing partners there, he said, I would love to keep you here and have you work for my firm. But he was like, I honestly can't tell you to pass that up. If you were my own son, I would tell you, you better take this opportunity. So that's kind of how <laughs> the early stages started. Wow. Okay. Wow. I mean, we talk to people all the time that were hired a year in advance, of course. You know, that's not that uncommon anymore. But, but for them to pay for you to go to school, that's pretty amazing. So I'm curious, did you know when you were accepting that even what group you would be in, tax, audit, a specialty, or is, is that decided later? Or how did that work? So at the time, I knew that I was going to be on the audit assurance side of the house. And that was the area where when I talked in the interview, that was the area that I pretty much said that I would want it to be in because that was the area that I was thinking about doing. I guess that was my original plan before Notre Dame came in the picture was, to go get a master's and then to get an audit because that was the side where I was going to get the opportunity to be able to have an inside look at all of these different companies I would audit so I could understand how they thought about their financials, have those discussions with the senior, I guess you say, accounting and finance team as we were going through the audit. So I knew I wanted to do audit and I brought that up in the interview and it just so happened that office, they had some openings on their audit side. So it was like, a, I guess you say, like a perfect mix of events that all happened. Wow. Very fortunate. Definitely. <laughs> okay. So obviously, you got some really good experience there. And of course, like many people, you decide eventually to move on. What are some of the, I think, some of the takeaways that you feel like you got from your experience at EY? And then what was your decision-making process like to eventually move on? And what did you do after that? Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I tell anyone that when it comes down to a career in public accounting or the experience in public accounting is it really taught me the fundamentals of understanding how accounting works kind of in an organization to where 
you really start to audit a couple things. You see how things are, and you start to learn to ask questions like, why are we doing it this way? Does this make sense? And you just start to develop that fundamental understanding of how to ask the right questions or how to look at things the right way, and which is something that you'll be able to take with you throughout the rest of your career. And I mean, and I spent a lot of time, which at the time, it wasn't the funnest thing to do. I spent a lot of time auditing inventory. So there were many days of being in the middle of nowhere at someone's factory, counting widgets or counting rail cars or, or counting, I guess you'd say, what, the axles for Corvettes or whatever, to where a lot of time doing that, but it really taught me how to really understand inventory, which played a big role when I moved over into industry. But I would say that really getting a deep understanding of the fundamentals of accounting and how accounting works in a business and the right questions to ask. And I think that as I started kind of auditing more and because I was on an engagement where I actually moved up to senior, I guess you say after like a year and a half, because the senior that I had on an engagement, she was she was pregnant. So she went out on maternity leave, which meant I had to like step up faster than expected. And it was a great opportunity to start to learn how to have those discussions with the senior leadership team of a client. Because then I had, at that point, I had a staff coming and asking me questions. And I was like, man, I'm only like a year and a half ahead of this person. But I had to really do my homework so that I knew how to give the staff the guidance. And then also on that engagement, they wanted to bring in like another, I guess you'd say it would have been a peer to me, but the peer would report to me on that engagement. So it was really a time to learn leadership to where when you're that early in your career, if you go, when I, if I'd have gone straight into industry, I probably would not have had the opportunity to really develop my leadership that early of having people report to me. I would say it was a leadership development there as well. And I think like most people, I mean, after you've done public accounting for a little while, you start to realize that, you know, what, I want to take my career in a slightly in a different angle. And for me, it was, I guess you say, another interesting turn of a, I guess you say, situation because I wanted to move more away from auditing and telling the client, hey, here are some errors or here's some things you need to fix. So I wanted to move to the side of actually working with the business and actually helping them make and implement the changes, which is not the job of the auditor. So I knew that for me to get that, I would have to actually go into industry and work for a company. And now because they paid for the degree, that I was on a contract for four years. And I guess another mix of events was I was on a couple real estate clients were kind of big for me also. And it was back in 2008 when the financial crisis happened. And when the financial crisis happened, the firm, the office that I was at, they lost several of the real estate clients due to the real estate companies having to file for bankruptcy. And so when the firm was looking, because my, I guess you say, my bigger clients were in real estate, when the firm had to do some layoffs, I was one of the people that went through the layoffs, but it gave me the opportunity to then take my experience to move into industry from that point. Okay. Okay. I was curious about that because I was thinking you were at EY a little shorter than four years. So (laughs) that was a hard time. (laughs) I remember that. Oh my gosh. My gosh. Yeah, I agree. It was definitely a tough time for a lot of people, which is why I think some of the best advice I got going into public accounting was 
to really embrace the experience that you're about to embark on. Like some of the things that you're going to have to do in your staff one and staff two years are not going to be the most pleasant assignment, but make sure you embrace it and you learn because those skills that you develop, the fundamentals you develop are going to be what opens opportunity up for you thereafter. And since I did that, when the financial crisis hit and the layoffs happened, I was able to use those fundamentals to actually leverage that to move into my next opportunity. Yeah, something that did interest me about your background is how your positions after UI were very analysis focused. I guess what I mean by that is they were financial analyst roles and then FP&A. And the reason is that, so I work in employment and I've talked to a lot of accountants in my career that said, I want to do more than just record the numbers. I want to help, (laughs) you know, make decisions based (laughs) on them. And so is that something that just was a fortunate turn of events for you that your career went in that path? Or is there anything you did to sort of direct it in that path? Take us through those years, because I'm curious how you came up with those opportunities. Yeah. So the first one, like the coming right out of public accounting, I took a private consulting engagement with Blue Cross Blue Shield because at the time they had a major legislation Medicare program that had, I guess, had started, but then, I guess, at a federal level, they decided to revamp the program. So one of the things that they needed were a lot of people who had a lot of medical practices that had made upgrades and applied to be a part of this program. They had incurred different costs to do so. But because the program was being canceled and or I guess that version of the program has been canceled and revamped, a lot of them had the opportunity to file a claim against the federal government for reimbursement for the cost that they incurred. So part of my that first role was me having to audit the claims that they had sent in. And since I had an audit background, it was a perfect fit. So I did that contract for a little bit. And then once that contract wrapped up, or I guess before that contract wrapped up, because I knew it was coming to an end because it was a temporary consulting assignment. I started looking at other opportunities. And again, going back to, I didn't enjoy doing all the physical inventory audits when I was in public accounting, but it opened the door because there was a manufacturing company I based out of Lyle, Illinois, or just outside of Chicago that had a plant in the Carolinas. And one of their plants, one of the challenges that the controller had was he had a challenge with the inventory and he had concerns that the inventory wasn't being accounted for properly. And so when he and I met in the interview, I said, I spent a lot of my time in public accounting, auditing inventory. So I would say that accounting around inventory was the first way that I got my foot in the door. And I spent a lot of time developing internal control, developing their physical inventory and their cycle count process, and also working, developing kind of their mark-to-market accounting, just kind of looking at what they were doing around the inventory piece. And then while I was doing that, I also would spend time with the manufacturing team because as we were trying to figure out how to change the internal, I guess, set up internal controls and processes around inventory, I also said, hey, I think there's some opportunity here when I'm looking at the numbers of how we could actually improve working capital. And when I started doing things like that, the controller 
And my finance manager, I guess the, my manager at the time, started asking me to do a little bit more financial analysis as well as the accounting stuff. And so that's kind of how I, I guess you say, started that jump from pure accounting to a little bit more financial analysis. Okay. Yeah, I have to tell you, we've had a few discussions about people doing inventory work and public accounting on this show and like I said, close to 200 episodes coming up on it. But I think you're the first person that said it was actually beneficial, you know? (laughs) 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 Not everyone talks about it as fondly. (laughs) During the time I was doing it, it was not a fond experience at all. Well, take us through the next you know, couple organizations, because I do want to get to your consulting work now, but I think it's important that we know how you got to that and some of the important milestones, because you were at GE Aviation as well, and, and I think we were just talking about Navistar. Was that Navistar that we were yeah, leaving off that at? that was Navistar. Okay. Okay. Well, you spent four years at GE Aviation, and this is embarrassing. I'm familiar with the name GE. I don't know anything about the aviation division. So I guess what was that and and what did you do there exactly? (laughs) You know, that I would say don't feel bad because that is exactly what I thought when what happened was I was still working for Navistar and I was doing an international assignment living in Brazil and a friend of mine that worked for GE was there traveling, doing some travel for GE. So he and I met up to have lunch. And then I started hearing a little bit more about G's aviation, whatever. And I was like, well, don't they make like um, electronics? Like, what are they doing in aviation? And he said that they actually make the jet engines for aircraft. And so I was like, oh, "Oh, that seems interesting. And so when I came back to the U.S., I had done a couple, worked a little bit more for Navistar. And the path forward within Navistar was more along the kind of technical accounting path. And that wasn't the path I wanted to go. So I applied for a a finance manager role within GE. So my first role was because of my manufacturing background, it was at one of their manufacturing sites in Virginia. So just outside of D.C. near Dulles Airport. And there it was really, it was a newer, I guess you'd say subsidiary that GE had purchased. And they had owned it for about a few years. But one of the challenges that they were having there is they said that, hey, we want to make sure that we have the right accounting and control practices in place. And so for me, it's like I came from public accounting. I can definitely do that. I do have some on the financial analysis experience, so I can bring that as well. So I started there working in that business and really just developing the right processes and procedures, and which it was also around the time where a lot of companies were looking at doing finance transformation, where they were trying to centralize some of your, your hardcore accounting closed process procedures. And so a lot of what I was doing as far as setting up the controls in place and putting the processes in place also was used and leveraged for other locations within the aviation division to where I fly up to Cincinnati and where the aviation headquarters is. And then I would work with the accounting center and helping them understand like here, this is how you would think about doing accounting at a manufacturing site. And 
this is how we can streamline these processes so it can be done remotely. And I played a big role in that, as well as at the same time still being the finance leader at the location that I was responsible for, like working with the sales team, helping them negotiate deals. And I would say that this quick story of one of the bigger ones was we had a major supplier in the UK and I was supposed to fly over there to visit the supplier. We were going to do a visit there. And I think it was like, uh, I was supposed to fly over there in like two weeks. So Monday morning, I got a call from them and said that, hey, you should probably cancel your trip. And I'm like, okay, what happened? And they were like, well, we had a devastating fire. The fire burned everything, the, the factory completely to the ground. And immediately I thought, okay, is everyone okay? And they were like, yeah, it happened in the middle of the night. No one was there. I'm like, that's good. And then in the back of my mind, I was like, oh man, like that means like we're in the middle of negotiating a $22 million deal with the U.S. government. And now I'm not going to have any supplier to like supply the material we need. Like how in the world are we going to like still manage to give them the confidence that we can support this contract? So things like that and working through that with the sales team and the negotiation, it really opened me up to the finance side of running the business. And so from there, I moved up. The senior leadership team thought I did a good job. So I moved up to another role, a senior finance manager role over a bigger location because that first one was about $65 million in revenue. Then the next location was about $758 million in revenue. So working some of the similar things just at a much bigger capacity and doing a good job there of helping streamline the process, the procedures, working with the internal operations team of helping them understand the finance and the accounting, like what the numbers were telling us and how they could leverage the numbers to actually make good business decisions. And so after doing that for a while and presenting information to senior leadership team, that's what led into an FP&A role within GE, which was the last role that I had at GE, where I was responsible for a $6.5 billion division of really doing the forecasting and the planning and a lot of working with the accounting team to understand all the changes that we were doing with 606 to where 606 was coming in, people who didn't have an accounting background they didn't really understand what it meant. And definitely the non-accounting and finance teams, they did not know what it meant as well. So being able to build financial models and understanding what the changes were going to do to our contract and how we could forecast, hey, this is what our numbers are going to look like based on what we're seeing here. And so I spent some time doing that, I mean, deep into building up the forecast models and working with the accounting team as well as working with the operations team and presenting the findings and the information to the senior executive team. And then I would say probably around the closer to the end of the year, my wife and I decided we wanted to move closer to family because neither of us were from Cincinnati. And when we got married, I mean, literally we got married and went on our honeymoon and then four days later, we hopped in the car, drove to Ohio, and we started our new jobs in Ohio. But we were like, we wanted to get back closer to family. And so my wife was offered a, a director of finance role with Honeywell in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so we started looking for the next opportunity. And that's where the opportunity for a director of FP&A for a fintech company opened up. And it was a great mix because 
that was probably the first role where I would say they had a controllership team that was doing all the accounting. And my job was really taking what the accounting team was doing, as well as working with the non-finance team and translating, hey, this is what the accounting means to you as a salesperson, or this is what the accounting means to you as a marketer. And these are some of the decisions that I think we probably should shift and make based on what the financials are telling us and based on what our goals are and really working through that. And then also, I mean, it being a private equity company, we went through two acquisitions where we bought one company for 20 million, then we bought another one for 22 million. And that's where a lot of my accounting and the due diligence kicked back in because you're combing through their accounting records and you're looking and you're analyzing like, okay, all right, how is this business going to integrate with ours and how are they doing their accounting? And then after we successfully did those acquisitions, the last project that I was working on was we raised another about $60 million in private equity funding. So a lot of it then is how do you take what you know about accounting and what you know about the business and FP&A and how do you tell a story with the financials that give an investor or a potential investor confidence that this business is worth whatever the valuation was on that $60 million multiple. And so it became a role where I had the opportunity to use everything that I had gained in the past from my public accounting to the financial and analyst roles to the FP&A roles, combine it all together to now, how do you tell the story to external parties and How do you give guidance to the senior leadership team and the board internally so that we know that we're making the right and healthy decisions for the business? So sounds like you had a really interesting job, and it sounds like you really were enjoying it as well. I'm curious, how did you decide to go out on your own and (laughs) start doing some consulting? (laughs) And Yeah, I'm curious about your business, but now you got me really curious, you know, what that decision-making process was like. So, yeah, I guess at what point did you decide, I think I want to do something different? And then tell us about starting your consulting business. Yeah, a lot of it came down to my wife and I, both of us had director of finance level roles at two different companies. And originally we had moved to Cincinnati because I had gotten a promotion. And so, I mean, personally for us, we were looking at, okay, all right, we really didn't have a lot of time that we were spending with one another. And my wife knew that I had always done like some freelance accounting and finance kind of analysis review work for small business owners outside of working full time. I do maybe like one client every six months or whatever. And she saw that I really enjoyed doing it. And she said, you know what, we're going to create more flexibility. One of us probably should consider taking a step back and how do we focus on building our own consulting firm? And she said, you know, you really enjoy doing that, taking what you've learned from the giants like Navistar and GE and taking that wisdom and then helping small business owners and startups because most small business owners and startups, they don't have the funds to go hire a former GE finance leader or a executive in finance because they're just not that far along in that stage. And so I saw it as one as an opportunity in the market, as well as a passion and a personal interest to want to help small business owners and startups. 
And so when I saw kind of that mix of things and I said, I can use everything that I've learned and I can start helping those type of businesses because I already enjoyed it. And then my wife and I kind of came to that conclusion, like, if you are going to do this, there's no way that you can continue doing your full-time job where you're working a ton of hours and do that on the side. And so we got to a point where we were financially comfortable enough to make that decision for me to step back and then really focus on building up our consulting practice. And it's an opportunity for me, like you said, the job that I had at Passport was very fun. I really enjoyed it. Actually, the CFO and I are still in contact and I still communicate. I, you know, I check on him and how the team and even the people that were on my team reporting to me, they still reach out to me. I check on them to see how they're doing. So I enjoyed the team and I enjoyed the work, but I thought it was a good opportunity for me to do some of that same level or caliber of work for small business owners and for startups. And so when I made that step out, I actually decided to do it in January of 2020, but the CEO and the CFO wanted me to stay on to help wrap up a few things, a few projects that that they wanted to run to completion. So I agreed to stay on. We extended it to the end of March. But what I did not expect is that we would be in the middle of a pandemic by March. So (laughs) that made things very interesting. Yes, yes. So I know it's only been a little while, and like you mentioned, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, by the way. (laughs) What what were the first few months like for you, and I guess, what are you doing now exactly? Yeah, so the first month, I mean, it was really, my perspective was, I'm probably, because we're in the pandemic, I'm not going to be able, everyone's at home, and I'm not going to be able to go out and network the traditional way, or going to events and different things, so... I'd already been doing some videos on the side, which is probably how you came across my content. I was doing some videos on LinkedIn and just even when I was working full time, I would do a video about if you're a small business owner, here's something in the accounting and finance field that you should probably think about when it comes to your business. And so I was doing videos like that. And I said that since I had already gotten really comfortable and I enjoyed doing the videos and providing that at least the general kind of advice for business owners and for startups. I said that, you know, maybe I should expand on that more and leverage that to do more networking. And so I started a segment of the show where I would interview other business owners, other entrepreneurs on the show. And for the first couple of months, I used that in interviewing different business owners to understand, hey, what their journey was like, what types of problems they were seeing, because that would help me understand, hey, how do I pitch or how do I market my accounting consulting services? Because most people think, well, I need a CPA or I need a bookkeeper. But what I started realizing is there's a big gap between the two, because a lot of people thought, I talked to my CPA at the end of the year when it's time to file my taxes. My bookkeeper does the book and then sends me the report. And what I realize is there's a lot of people that don't actually understand how to read the reports their bookkeepers are sending. And that's where I spent a lot of my, the latter part of my career is taking the accounting and translating it to make sense for non-finance professionals. And so that's where I really started to hone in on that segment. And now I'm still doing interviews. So I would say we started 
doing the interviews like March 25th. And since March 25th, actually this morning, I recorded episode 133. And so I've been talking to a lot of people. <laughs> and as I've been talking to that many people, I started realizing like, hey, there is a really big market for helping people understand finance and accounting. And so that's where different people have seen the videos, have contacted me about becoming a client for my business. And it's definitely opened up another opportunity for me to kind of move a little bit more and kind of not just doing the accounting side, but also the training and the analysis of helping them understand, hey, here's how to look at it. Or like there's one restaurant that that's one of my clients and they've been in business for maybe uh, about a year and four months. And during that time, they knew their recipes. They had great relationships with customers, but they didn't understand the financial side of their business. And so after working with them for a year, kind of, I guess you could say as their fractional CFO and helping them understand it, they've been able to grow their restaurant to where even in the pandemic, where they bought a food truck to expand the restaurant, to test new markets. And now because of that, that has gone so well. They're also looking at opening a second location a year and a year and a half into running their business. And they're profitable at, with the food truck and they're profitable at the restaurant because I helped them understand the financial side of the decisions that they were making. So now they have a model that's set up that allows them to now open up another location and so it's just being able to do that with small business owners and with startups is just kind of where my consulting comes into play. And then, like I said, I really enjoy creating the content because I know not everyone needs to hire me as a consultant. Sometimes they just need a little general education or training or advice. And so that's what I do in the videos of creating the content that gives them kind of that guidance to help start pointing them in the right direction. And when they need a little bit more specific, they can contact me to do consulting. And if they need something that's not in my particular skill set, I always advise them like, hey, here, I'll help you find a professional that will be the right fit for you. Because these are some of the questions I would ask if you were looking for, let's say you need a CPA that focuses on the specific types of tax-related regulations. Like, I help them understand, hey, here's how you can get to the right person to help you with that specific thing you need. <laughs> I'm still amazed at 130-something episodes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do one a week, and I know how much work that takes just for my one a week. You know, so, oh, my gosh. You've been busy. You have been busy. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. I do think you're providing a great service because compliance gets taken care of in small and mid-sized businesses, but you're right. There's not a lot of analysis. Someone keeps the books, and then they get the taxes done, but in the middle, there's just not a whole lot of analysis that the owners get assistance with, so that's definitely very valuable, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I noticed when I was working at the tech company at Passport is, that's where I spent a lot of time, like when we would get questions back from potential investors, and then we had already had some 
like Bain Capital was a big private equity firm that already invested in us. Even when I would work with Bain, the reporting that they, they required, a lot of it was really around the analysis where we look at things like gross margin and they look at our sales strategy. It's like based on the product that you're trying to sell or that you're marketing, are you marketing the high margin items or the low margin items? Like what would that do to your business? And I realized that a lot of small businesses, I mean, they have a lot of things to do. I mean, they're trying to figure out how to run a business. They're figuring out kind of manage employees. They're trying to manage their own lives. So they may not all, and they don't have the accounting and finance background. So they may not know to just, hey, maybe I need to look at my gross margin and analyze that. And that's kind of where I start to play a role and then start to help them understand that. And where I may do the, I'll do the analysis for them and I kind of provide that information and then I point their attention to, hey, here's where you're going to get the most value out of looking at this part of your business because they don't necessarily have the time to do all that. But as they start to understand it, then when they're thinking about the next product that they're going to launch, they already have, hey, well, what does this do to my gross margin? They have that in mind, so they're starting to make smarter money decisions when it comes down to their business. Definitely. Well, I told you I would watch the time and be respectful of your time, and we are going long, so I do want to make sure I, I am respectful of the time you've dedicated for this. We have three questions we end every show with, and we better get to those. But one last question, because I am curious before we do that. (laughs) So where do you see all this going? If things go exactly how you would like in your consulting business, what does that look like? For the consulting business, I definitely want to work with more clients. Definitely right now we have a goal of getting to, to 20 recurring clients on the consulting side. Right now, we're at five clients right now. And like I said, we're still continuing to do the marketing and helping clients. We've had some one-off clients here and there, but getting to 20 recurring clients is kind of the goal there. And as far as the Business Talk Library, the content goes there, we've done, like I said, a lot of interviews, and we're still continuing to do that. Our goal there this year is to reach 150. Well, it was 150. Since we're at 130-something now, we're probably going to increase it to 200 by the end of the year. (laughs) But I think our goal there, I think, is what we understood about the production and the filming and the editing is then to get into making on-demand training material that whether you're a new business owner or whether you're new to finance and accounting to where you can order the on-demand training and you can start to develop that fundamental understanding about that side of your business so you can continue to navigate and make smarter money decisions. I was going to say 150. I mean, at the pace, you could get that done for the weekend. The pace you've been going. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got to raise that goal. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Too funny. Well, I really do end every show with the same three questions, so we probably better get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? My proudest moment, I would say, When I worked at Navistar, and one of my roles was investor relations, and 
part of what I did is worked with the, the VP of Investor Relations, and we would actually prepare the CEO and the CFO before they went on their analyst calls and before they got the calls from the Wall Street analysts. And I remember reviewing something that the CFO wanted to share, and I was analyzing it and doing some deep research, and I, I found a mistake in it. And when I was able to bring that up, to, I was nervous about bringing it up because I'm like, well, are you going to correct the CFO? But I'm like, but I can't let him go out there and say this if I know it's wrong. And so kind of got over the fear, brought it up to him. And he was very appreciative because he didn't realize it. But also at the same time, what he came back and told me is that if he would have said that, that actually would have started a whirlwind of problems for them. So being able to know that, hey, wow, I added value in a tremendous way. And I'll say that's probably one of my proudest moments. Mm. That's so true. When you're earlier in your career, sometimes it's hard to have the guts when you know you're right. So that, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because there's a lesson in there as well. Not just a proud moment. There's a lesson for sure. Well, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you're willing to share or able to share, I guess, about the situation, the better, because that is how we learn from these. Yeah, I would say a lesson that I learned the hard way, I think it was probably my first job in industry where I understood the accounting behind inventory and my job was to work with the operations team to implement some new internal controls into the process to make sure things are going well. And I made some recommendations and the recommendations made perfect sense from a internal control perspective, but they did not make as much sense from an actual operations perspective. And at the time, I was so deep into accounting that I did not know how to think outside of my own world. So when I brought up the recommendation, there was a ton of pushback, and I didn't really understand why. I'm like, this makes perfect sense from an accounting and a control perspective. And then I think after probably like a week of pushback, someone gave me some advice and said, hey, why don't you just go out to the shop floor and actually walk through the process with them? And then when we walked through the process, I realized, oh, my gosh, like I see why my idea worked on paper, but it was not going to work in like the real world. And so I think that was a lesson I kind of learned the hard way after going back and forth with the team and trying to defend my point, but realizing that I just didn't have a wide enough perspective to really bring forward the best idea. Yeah, there is a good lesson in there. You have to be practical as well, for sure. (laughs) Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I would say the best piece of advice, I would say, is to really embrace and enjoy where you are in your journey. Because starting back when I first started in accounting, I had no idea it was going to lead to training content and consulting. Like, I didn't know that that was the path. But one of the things that I realized is that by really, even as I talked about with the inventory, embracing that experience, although I didn't like doing the physical inventory audits, but just embracing the experience and learning as much as I could, like that was the thing that allowed me to go from public accounting to land a job in with a Fortune 500 company, and which also opened the door for me to 
move up to many different levels and many different roles. And I think that every role that I've had, my mindset has been, how do I get the most value and really embrace the moment that I'm in and not spend too much time complaining about, well, I don't like doing this or I would prefer to be doing this. It's whatever you're doing, embrace the moment, get as much value and add as much value to others around you as you can. And you'll be surprised that as you move down the line, those experiences will come back and the value you gave and earned there will actually help you in the next stage of where you're going next. Very true. You usually don't realize it at that moment, but later you look back and you realize, oh, yeah, that's why that was valuable. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, this has been a wonderful interview, Terrell. I really appreciate you taking the time out for this. I've enjoyed finding out more about your story. If someone wants to contact you to find out more, or maybe they want to see some of these 130-plus videos (laughs) that you've produced, (laughs) I guess, where is the best place to do that online? So the best place would be you can find me on LinkedIn at Terrell A. Turner, CPA, and you can find me on LinkedIn there, or you can go to the website. It is Business Talk Library. All, I guess you'd say, when it's in a website, it's all one word, but businesstalklibrary.com. And as soon as you get to the website, you'll see all the different buttons that you can click to where you can click on the show where we have an accounting show where I do specifically accounting and finance content, and then you can click on the interview where you'll be able to see the library of interviews, all of the great entrepreneurs that we interview from around the world. Beautiful. Businesstalklibrary.com. Okay. Beautiful. Well, hey, thank you again. You're one of these guests that I'm going to need to circle back with in a year or two and just get an update because you've had an exciting career, but you've got a lot of excitement in front of you too. I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. Thank you. Well, that was my interview with Terrell Turner. And, you know, it just, like I mentioned in the intro, it was a very refreshing interview to do. I love it when someone gets their education and then goes out there into the working world and develops some very valuable skills and knowledge and abilities, and then is able to take those and transform it and work in the area of their passion. And that's what Terrell is doing now. It's a very invigorating and refreshing story to hear. It just, this is one of the reasons I love doing the podcast, speaking with people like Terrell. I hope you got a lot of value out of it as well. If you did get value out of it, please share it out on social media. If you don't mind, we always appreciate that. And like I always say, until next week, we'll see you soon. There's more to come.